Caleb Faulkner, Associate Editor of Strip-Till Farmer. Welcome to this episode of the Strip-Till Farmer podcast series. I encourage you to subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribing allows you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. Thanks to TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics for supporting this podcast series. Want to do more in 2022? Now available in convenient planter box application, TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics is proven by Beck's 2021 PFR to improve yield by 2.7 bushels per acre in soybeans and 4.6 bushels per acre in corn. It also nets $20,000 more in incremental income with every 1,000 acres planted. To calculate your ROI and purchase TerraSim for only $4.35 per acre, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com slash 2022. What would you do if the axle on your strip-till bar snapped in the middle of the field while you were planting? Davenport, Iowa farmer Rob Evil turned this very problem into an experiment, one that ended up proving the difference in yield that strip-till can make compared to no-till. In this episode of the Strip-Till Farmer podcast, hear what the bushel per acre difference was for Rob's half strip-till, half no-till field, how he's incorporating cover crops on some of the 2,000 acres he farms, and how he's teaching his nearby city neighbors about conservation agriculture and soil health. Here's Rob. Rob Ewalt, um, farm in eastern Iowa. Uh, I always like to joke and say it's I live three miles north of the Mississippi River, and then that gives everybody pause because they're like, well, the river runs north-south, and not where I live. So <laughs> I live uh, right where they would call the nose of Iowa. And so I uh, farm there with my, my uh, wife, and I have two sons, 13 and 15, and uh, we grow corn, soybeans, alfalfa hay. We have a cow-calf operation. We run about 125 head of cows. When you look at gross dollars, it's not a very big percent of our, of our operation. It's more fun. We also uh, do contract finishing for a local hog producer. Okay. And how many acres are you? We're farming roughly, uh, this last year we are farming 1,400, now we're going up to about 2,000. So we have a, I have a very a good friend of ours from church that's retiring, and, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to rent his ground. So it's kind of a nice little growth stage. And how many of those acres are strip-tilled? Anything that we're going to plant corn into is strip-tilled. Um, so we typically, where we live, uh, we, we have a lot of variation in our soil type. So we have, we have a lot of Fayette soils that are on the hills and we have some B, C, D slope hills, so, so we are uh, open to surface erosion. So we will strip till those acres in the springtime. Uh, then we have some of what people typically think of Iowa as the, the rolling black soil, the heavier soils. And those, if they're flat enough, then we will do just strictly a P and K strip in the fall. This year's our first year doing that and it was mainly because of availability of fertilizer and it was also pricing because they couldn't guarantee our spring price. So we decided we better, we better do some of these strips in the fall. So that's when we, that's when we did that. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason we wanted to do some fall strips is we don't have a very fancy strip till bar. Um, in fact, the strip till bar that I use comes from my local uh, ag retailer 
and they let me use it because I must be a really nice guy or something. <laughs> and and not many people want to use it, so that's kind of nice, and I like to kind of keep it that way because I'm selfish that way. But the uh, one thing that we're always concerned about is if we can get a rain after our spring strips are put in because we need to pack that dirt down a little bit more. We think we're getting some air pockets in when we go through with our planter. Ten days, two weeks later, if we haven't gotten a settling rain, we have those air pockets that we're planting into a little bit. So we don't get the, we're, we're not getting the spacings that we want or the germ that we want if it's sitting in an air pocket, if that particular seed falls into an air pocket. So we think by doing the, sp the fall strips, we'll pack it down a little bit more and, and get a little bit better seed bed when we come through with the, with the planter in the spring. Okay. And what type of stripovar are you running? It's a blue one. <laughs> well, it, it's it's pretty old. It, it's a blue jet, I believe, is what it is, and and it's just a a sixteen row with. And we do all liquid strips. Um, we don't do any dry fertilizer at all. Um, so uh, it's just a, a sixteen row strip to a bar that has the tank on back, and it's a parallel linkage that that goes between the tractor and the and the tank. Um, you know, we've even, it is about as simple of a unit as you can run. And and when it's at zero cost to me, I, I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. I guess if I owned one, I would want to put some other things on it. But, uh, you know, it's basically, basically running a knife in the ground, and we're putting that liquid in about six inches, maybe five, five inches. And then um, it's got the... The sealer's going right beside it to kind of hill it up, and, and that's about all it is, really. It's kind of, okay. but most of our strips are we're in a corn bean rotation. We do do a little bit of corn on corn, but that's with our our hog manure. So we're not we're planting into the manure, but we're not running an actual strip till bar okay. on on our corn stalks. So we're only going through bean stubble, so that that makes it pretty easy for us. Why can you do corn on corn in the hog manure part? The reason that we're doing corn on corn in the hog manure is, is where our barns are located. We have 200 acres of our own ground right there. And the hog buildings produce 150 acres worth of manure every year. And with our manure management plan and the state of Iowa and, and the nutrient reduction strategy, we, we're not allowed to put manure on ground going into beans. So I have to keep 150 acres of corn right around that location. And uh, otherwise the transportation cost of hauling the manure to other farms would just be too much. Sure. So we run corn on corn. Um, we'll run three years of corn and then one year of beans on, on that. We, have, um, we do it with tankers instead of, instead of uh, the umbilical line. Uh, mainly because I want to plant on the strips, and uh, so the my manure applicators are have RTK, and then we get the lines from them, so we plant right on top of that manure strip, and all of our manure is put on in the fall, and we have a stabilizer that goes with it for nitrogen uh, stabilizer. We don't do anything else to it. We we go through with a blue jet subsoiler just on the main paths that the manure tanks make because they pack it down so much. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we are strictly relying on the freeze and thaw action of winter 
to loosen up that ground for us from the compaction from those tanks. The manure ground was not nearly as, our yields weren't nearly as high as they were where we actually ran the strip-till bar. Um, so I think there's a little bit to the tillage part that's there. Um, and, and I think some of our manure, the nitrogen wasn't quite available like we thought it was, and that's why we saw some yield reduction on that ground. Now that we've gone to doing some later season nitrogen application and doing some soil sampling later to see what we have for nitrates, we're, got a, we, we're getting a lot better results now. So we're planting on top of that manure strip, and then we're coming back with a little bit of nitrogen in the planter and then coming back with them again with Y-drops to, to compensate. So now we're starting to see some really positive results. You know, I'm 49 years old. Maybe we finally figured some of this stuff out. <laughs> How often are you soil sampling? We're going through and we're grid sampling all of our ground. Every, every farm's going to get done every four years, four to five years. Our manure management plan ground, that's a four-year and then the rest of the ground we do every five years. The biggest thing that we're doing is every year we are pulling a nitrate level on the soil as a baseline to know where we're at and then we're doing a lot of modeling um, through Granular which is a company spun off from Corteva. So we're doing nitrogen modeling to see what we need to put on you know, we put, we're putting on some in in the springtime with the strip-till machine. We're putting another shot of N on with our planter. And then we pull some more nitrogen nitrate samples out of the soil when the corn's about knee-high or a little bit taller to see what's actually there now. And then we take those and, and use them for our Y-drop and to figure out how many units of N we want to put on with our Y-drop. So, you know, a really wet year, if we lost some nitrogen, then we need to up it. Average year, we're putting, we're coming back normally with about 40 units of, of uh, nitrogen late. And, and we've seen very good results with good. that. So, What yep. are some of those results? The side-by-sides, um, we can see 5 to 10 bushel to the acre on our side-by-sides. To come up with a harder number than that, I really can't. And the nice thing is, is that I feel like I can defend myself a little bit better with the public in what we're doing in our operation. Uh, we're right outside of an urban area of about 200, 250,000 people that really are so far removed from agriculture, they have no clue, but they know that the Mississippi flows right by their front door and they want to have good water. Mm -hmm. And so... When we pull these samples and we go in and we say, hey, look, this is what the science told us. So this is what we know the plant needs to finish out. So we're not going to put any more on than we have to. Where before, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we knew we wanted to reach this yield goal and this is what it was going to take to get there. Well, maybe Mother Nature wouldn't allow you to get there and you wasted a lot of fertilizer. Well, now by doing it in three different steps, we're not wasting the nitrogen. Maybe the nitrogen's still there because it was a dry year, you know, from planting season to when we would side dress, and we don't need to side dress. Most of the times, it's coming back saying, "Yeah, you need to put a little bit out there," and uh, and that's where we see that that uh, bigger yield bump. Mm -hmm. So.
And what's in, what are average yields for you? The longer we've been doing the the no-till, strip-till for 10, 12, 15 years, depending with some cover crop in there. And every year we're going up. And now this last year for our whole operation, we averaged 230 on our corn and we averaged 70 on our beans. Um, we had fields, our best, our top field for this last year. And this was without any rain in August. All of my neighbors and I, we, we talked, we said, you know, what would we have been if we would have got one or two inches in August? You know, where would our bean yields have been? Where would our corn yields have been? But our best, our, our best average farm was 257, 258 on our corn, which um, I was very, very happy with. Now that's on our very good ground. Um, on our marginal ground, still comes in at about 220, 225. So we were, it was, we were blessed this year. There's no doubt. Uh, we had the weather. Um, we could have done a little bit better with some rain, but, but all in all, it was, it was a great year for growing corn and beans both. We're starting to see some issues in our area with this uh, tar spot in our corn now. And man, that, that scares a lot of us because from what we understand, it came in late this year that it didn't affect us on our yield because our yields were so good I, I don't think it affected us but um but that's something that we really have to watch because they said it comes into your field and it can shut a corn plant down in about three to four days wow. so we have to really be watching our fungicide applications this in now that prices are up and we're profitable we can spend that extra money on maybe another pass with the fungicide and, and fight that one off we're, what we're going to do i think is we're going to try to on our last herbicide pass, we're going to mix in a fungicide. Okay. And then hopefully that gets us to post-tassel. It probably won't quite do it, but we're trying, we're trying our best. We don't want to do a fifth pass through our corn because um, when that corn gets tall and we're in the hills, and to be honest, I'm not that great of a driver, and I can drive over a lot of, corn, a lot of tall corn. <laughs> so we're trying to minimize that. But um, then we're going to come back, and we're going to try to hold off as long as we can post-tassel to spray our last round because the, it seems like that tar spot comes in a little bit later. And so we're trying to get the early coverage up to tassel, and then we might have a week with no protection or a week and a half, and then we're going to come in and spray again. So, but it's just going to take a lot more scouting on, on our end to to look and the worst part is is by the time you scout and if you do see something you're too late mm -hmm. that's that's the downside yeah um but it's the best we can do how did you first get into strip tilling and when did you start that? our strip till is we started using a strip till bar about five years ago before that we were pretty much no-till corn into corn and 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 I had liquid on a planter, I had starter, I had nitrogen, and I always joke that I said this was kind of the, the poor man's strip-till bar, and that was just kind of a nightmare, and I wasn't, our yields were improving, but I, I talked to other people, and there's a better way, and, and when I found out that they'd let me use the bar for free, no charge, I was like, I'm in, let's, let's do it. Let's let's go and and so we started, and actually two years ago, I, I had the strip till bar. It was a smaller field. It was just like a 34, 35 acre field. I had done half the field, literally half the field, 
just filled up the tank, started down, and the axle snapped on the on the strip till bar. And I just had a full 14, 1500 gallons of product on, and and I was I was I didn't know what to do. So I called up my ag retailer and I said, Hey, I said, uh, this big tire just fell off. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, you guys want to come out and take a look? Because I don't know what I'm going to do. And so they came out, and this was the last field of the season. I only had like 17 acres to go. And so they just brought out a, a, a three-wheel sprayer applicator, and it had 15-inch drops to dribble the fertilizer on. So we pumped off the tank. They went out, and they did the rest of the field that way. And this was on bean stubble. And, and then we came back, and we planted. So half of it was planted into strips, and then the rest was just true no-till. And at that time, we did not have nitrogen on that planter. We didn't have any liquid on that planter at that time. We took it to harvest, and there was 35 bushel an acre difference between the strips and the and the 15 inch dribbled. All had the same fertilizer. It's just where it was placed wow. and what action was done. You're always going to learn something when something bad happens. Mm-hmm. And so what can we learn from that? And we've been stripping for four years before that, but I never was patient enough to do a a side-by-side true comparison and uh, and when when we did this I was like well why why would I ever do anything different than strip till or 35 bushel an acre that's it's crazy so that's and so from then on out I'm we do all of that <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. so yeah yeah you're a little upset that that last 17 acres didn't get stripped because you know you gave up bushels, but we learned. We take it and run with it. Before we get back to the conversation, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Terrasim by New Leaf Symbiotics, for supporting the Strip Till Farmer podcast series. Want to do more in 2022? Now available in convenient planter box application. TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics is proven by Beck's 2021 PFR to improve yield by 2.7 bushels per acre in soybeans and 4.6 bushels per acre in corn. It also nets $20,000 more in incremental income with every 1,000 acres planted. To calculate your ROI and purchase TerraSim for only $4.35 per acre, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's New sym.com slash 2022. Let's rejoin the conversation as Rob talks about strip-till lessons and what he's cover cropping. What are some of the other lessons you've learned in strip-tilling? I want to be patient. You know, it's just like trying to be patient when you go out with a planter. You don't want to go out too early in the spring. And that's sometimes hard. I mean, trying to cover... 700 acres in the spring and then want to have the planters going right behind and one of those tractors that you're using to strip till is goes on a bean planter you're kind of like well we really want to get the beans going but we're still doing a little bit of strip till and trying to wait so just patience but I mean I, I think that goes with everything it goes with the planting not planting too early not dealing with sidewall compaction and you know you get into those fields too early with that heavy tank and the, the big tires those tracks are there for a long time (laughs) and so that's probably the biggest thing 
that I've learned. On our farm, we have a a Blue Jet subsoiler, and we have a Great Plain TurboMax that has an air seeder on it. And the only time we use it is to seed cover crops. So if I screw up a field, I really don't have. <laughs> I gotta go knock on my neighbor's door to ask for a piece of equipment. <laughs> I really don't want them to screw up a field, you know, basically. The, the nice thing about this machine that we use is because we're in the hills and we always try to go on the contour, but I mean, sometimes you just can't. Sometimes you end up going down a little bit of a hill and um, on our strip till bar, we have an override switch. So when we raise it out of the ground, it, it will lay it in a strip. Now we're not doing the tillage part, but we are banding it as we go down that hill. And it's still on RTK, so we plant right into that band. Now the band's just not for four and a half, it's, it's on top of the ground. But it's still better than spreading it out across all the ground, right. you know. And, and so I learned don't run it down a hill because you'll have issues with washing, especially now with these bigger rain events that we seem to be getting and everything. Um, so I guess those would be about the two things and, and check the axles and make sure they don't have cracks yeah. in them. <laughs> you mentioned your neighbors having to borrow equipment from them. What are they doing and is strip till common in your area? Strip till is not very common in our area. There's a lot of no-till, uh, smaller operations. There's still a lot of anhydrous goes on in our country in the fall. Um, just because it's cheap. This year there was a lot that went on because of our nitrogen issues that we have, the shortage. There's still still some uh, conventional tillage going on, you know, chisel in the fall. and There's a lot of seed corn ground to the north of us, so they have, you know, seed companies want it all tilled under and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of smaller ones will do a, a weed and feed and try to put it on that way. Um, Still some dry dry fertilizer thrown all over the ground and and not not in a band, not worked in, just just sitting there, which uh, is, you know, I, I wonder how good it is because the P and K just doesn't move into the soil profile very fast. And I kinda remember from agronomy class that roots grow down and so I want my fertilizer in the ground. Mm -hmm. I don't want it attaching to a clay particle and then running down to the stream when it erodes off my field. We're starting to see a little bit more strip till, but the, the, the downside is just the cost of the equipment. You know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky and I tell my retailer thank you every time I get to use that bar because I don't have to spend 130000 140000 on a piece of equipment. I think that's probably what keeps a lot of, a lot of the farmers from, from making a switch, mm -hmm. to be honest. When we were talking earlier, you said speaking for the public who's in more of the urban areas, mm -hmm. and then you said that you you're able to use the science from your soil testing to sh to show them why you're doing what you're doing. What has their reaction been when they're learning about this? Wow is the first thing. You know, they they had absolutely no clue, and and why would they? have any clue on what goes into growing a crop. And when you get down and you can show them hard science and, and numbers, and they are so appreciative of the, the way we're treating the land. 
and, and realizing that the water quality is a big issue for everybody. And, and ag is a big component of that water quality. When I get done giving a presentation and talking about it all and showing them the equipment and taking them out for a field walk, they say thank you when we're done. And, uh, and it's not just because I gave a presentation. They say thank you for, for the care that we're giving to the soil and the water. And, and that's, that's big. It really is. We're one and a half percent of the population feeding the rest of them. And we're a pretty small voice when it comes to policy making. As farmers, and uh, we have to inform these people and let them know what we're doing to have them on our side when it comes to, to voting and policy and issues like that. So um, that's kind of been the, uh, my takeaway when we do this. It's been fun. My kids are... Uh, they attend, they come out, and they'll sit in on, on the presentation. They can probably give the presentation better than I can now. <laughs> we were fortunate enough to receive an award from one of the, one of the environmental groups in our area. And uh, I, I remember in the speech, and the whole family come up, because that's what it's all about. And these two kids standing in front of me, I said, they are so much further ahead in this whole farming no-till, strip-till, water quality than I ever was at their age. So if there's any question about where agriculture's going, it's on the right track because I basically started from scratch. When I took, when I took over my parents' farm, when I came back from school, they were, you know, they had chisel plows and field finishers and, and cold mulchers and, and just beat the heck out of the ground. And I had to start from zero. And these kids are already starting at the, you know, I, I started at the one goal line going all 100 yards, and these, guys, these kids are going to be starting at about the, the 50 or the 40-yard line, and they only have 40 yards to go because they're, they're that much further ahead. And I think there's a lot of those kids out there going, coming up in ag that are that much further ahead than what we ever were. So I think it's great where we're at. Good, you're yeah. setting off the next generation yeah. for success. and. Yeah. You're one one percent feeding the ninety nine percent of yeah. us, so it's important that yep. our soil is able to handle that going forward. And we keep seeing. It. I mean, our yields keeping. Uh, my my parents have both passed, but I tell you what, if I could tell my dad what we grew on some of those clay knobs down there north right off, <laughs> right off the Mississippi, he'd he'd be smiling and he just couldn't believe it because you know. For a long time, 180 bushel yield was a big yield, and now we're at two and a quarter. And, and you know, I know genetics have something to do with it, but I'd like to think I had something to do with it, too. And our soil health is, is uh, so much better. I, I remember uh, watching a, a video of Sonny Beck, CEO of, of Beck's Hybrids out of Indiana. And the uh, most effective video I think I've ever seen is he takes a spade and he goes into a fence row and he digs up and he shows how the how soft and crumbly that soil is in that fence row. Of course, it hasn't ever been tilled. And he says, how many of us want to have that soil like that out in our fields? Well, of course, everybody's going to raise their hand. That is my goal. Is, and I don't know if I'll, I'll achieve it through our farming practices, but we're getting better. I've had some... some uh, People from Iowa, uh, Iowa Department of Animal Land Stewardship come out. Um, our state 
soil people and and do some digging and stuff and our our soil tills coming back our structures coming back <coughs> one of the benefits is we don't get stuck anymore the soil it's got the structure and it can handle the water and it can handle these loads going across it so much better and i had a friend kind of describe it you know it's like there's a mat out there now that we've laid out we've done it enough years i remember when i was a kid <laughs> pulling an auger car and just having it just sink out of sight you know in all this ground that we were tilling all the time and we just don't do that anymore and and it's so much easier and more fun to farm now and the soil health is a good segue into cover crops and yeah. How long you've been doing that, and what you're cover cropping? We would chop silage for our cow herd, and then we would grow cereal rye. And it was more for a selfish reason that we wanted cheap feed. I, my wife and I bought out my parents in 04. 05 was a very small drought in our area, and uh, and it was pretty bad. But we had some rye. We had chopped some corn in 04, just a little. It was a 16-acre field, and. On that 16-acre field, we needed about eight more acres is all we needed. So we quick chopped the headlands, and we chopped off a little bit. And uh, the rest of the corn we took to grain. That corn where we chopped, we seeded cereal rye in. And uh, just went in there with a no-till drill and, and got it all seeded, came up. 05 comes around, pretty dry. And we were late getting to chopping that. So I ended up just mowing it, blowing it back on the ground. I really didn't, we didn't need eight acres of that rye. And then we went right in and we just planted beads right into the rye and the corn stalks that were left over from the year before from the corn that we took to grain. We got three or four inches of rain the whole year. It was, it was miserable. Wow. That bean field, that little field, did 24 bushel of the acre average. But... Where we had the cereal rye, it did 36. Wow, that's Where we had bare corn stalks that we planted into, we did 12. And, and I have a map, and I use it in all my presentations, because I'm like, look at what this shows us. I know it shows us more yield, but I said, I don't know why it shows us more yield. But I, I think I've gone to a lot of classes since then, but... I think what it came down to is that we had a lot of microbial activity happening in the soil where that cereal rye was. And when we planted the beans into it, those microbes were there to help those roots get going, and, and that's why those beans did that much better. So now we try to cover crop a third of our acres to a half if we can. It all depends on time of harvest and if we think we can get good growth before frost and and so sometimes that's a real challenge i mean if we get a wet fall i've flown on lots of cover crops in the past but i just don't like to do that um so that's why we bought this air seeder and had it on the on this uh turbo max because it it's 24 foot wide it doesn't have many bearings and i can go really fast oh. now we can put lots of acres down in a short amount of time I, I don't like to mess with bean stubble. A lot of a lot of of these companies that that are giving money out for sustainability or regenerative, whatever name is popular now, um, they're wanting you to put it on bean stubble. Well, we don't get enough growth in the fall. We run a really full season bean, so we're not able to put our cover crop on until probably in the fifteenth, twentieth. 
of October. And on bean stubble, with that, with our cedar, it just it disturbs too much soil, and I I don't want to I don't want to do it. So we run it on corn stalks mainly for the benefit that I saw from '05 with the microbial activity and that in in helping enhance those beans get started. So we do it all on corn stalks, and uh, we run that vertical till with the cedar, and uh, and had really good luck. The cover crop thing's been a learning experience. Um, we've tried a lot, a lot of different stuff. Um, when when Iowa came up with their nutrient reduction strategy, it was kind of a voluntary program that uh, then Secretary of Ag Northey came up with because it was when Chesapeake Bay issues were really hot and heavy and, and all the regulations that we're going to be putting on. And, and he said, we need to come up with something to show that we're, <laughs> we're trying to make things better. And so there was a lot of money there that we could get to to educate ourselves about cover crop. And, you know, the first year, we we used cereal rye, and there was a helicopter coming in the area. So I was like, well, let's try this helicopter. And what would be a good seed? I did some research in perennial rye grass. I thought, well, I got experience with cereal rye grass. I said, how different can it be? Turns out it can be really different. <laughs> The reason I want to use it is because it was a small, light seed, so the helicopter could haul more acres of seed. That was my thought, and and he came out there, and he spread it over a lot of acres, and he said he was spreading at 60 feet pattern, maybe. Well, he was spreading at about a 30-foot pattern, because I had 30-foot nice dark green strip, and then... 30 foot of nothing and then 30 foot of a nice green strip and 30 foot of nothing and and then in the springtime when it came time to try to kill that stuff that perennial rye is tough to kill and and <laughs> that's when I learned well we're not going to do that anymore <laughs> and uh, because that was before we were doing our own spraying and my my retailer was not happy with me on that deal but then we tried some some tillage radishes and we've tried some clover and We've tried winter wheat. Winter wheat, I don't mind. Winter wheats, it's whatever I can source locally. If there's winter wheat seed, then fine, I'll buy that. If it's cereal rice, getting easier to source now, so I'll buy that. But the the radishes don't do a whole lot for me. We seeded them with an airplane and and um, into standing corn, and by the time we harvested, they were there, but it, it really, I thought there was better ways to spend my dollars on cover crop. Um, the the clover that we've put out, we have to terminate it before it really actually starts fixing any nitrogen in the springtime. So that really doesn't do anything for me. And and so my big thing was to the the cereal rye, the winter wheat, some triticale, those things that that they capture whatever's left over and they hold on to it. And that's what I want. And I want green in the spring. We've blown on oats or flown them on into bean stubble before we combine the beans. And then that's all right because it terminates on its own, you know, when frost comes. So at least you got a little bit more cover out there. But, um, but you know, it, it's all got an expense and you got to look at long term on that cover crop deal. And we're seeing the long term now. I mean, 10 years in, you know, the soil's getting better. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I keep going. But you know, this year, Roundup cost is pretty high. It was, and it's the cost of the seeds getting a little up there a little bit more, and and now you got to kind of 
who can we partner with that's going to help offset some of this cost? On the cover cropping and stuff, we've gone into and worked with a third party that that's uh, paying us for this practice, and it's covering our cost now. So um, that makes me a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you primarily terminating? Well, all chemical. Oh, chemical. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not that brave yet. <laughs> I, I'm not that brave to roll it and crimp it. Or I don't plant green. I I just haven't gone that far yet. Neighbor's an issue and <laughs> I can spray 80 acres in not even 30 minutes. Well, how long does it take me to roll it or crimp it? And so, uh, but that's that's what we're doing is we're, we're terminating and most of it's with Roundup. And are you grazing the cover crop? No, we do not. We were for a while, but anytime a rainstorm would come come through, we had to hurry up and push all the cattle off because I did not want hoof tracks. I did not want that compaction. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought it was better to to take them off of that and then we just got to the point where we're like, no, we're we're just not even going to mess with it. Sure. So, And a lot of the fields aren't conducive to grazing because they're further away now. And oh. The only time we graze is when they get through the fence. <laughs> Thanks to Rob Ewald for today's conversation. Let me know what you thought about this episode by emailing me at mpaulkner at lessetermedia.com or calling me at 262-777-2441. If you're looking for more podcasts about strip-till, visit striptillfarmer.com slash podcasts or check out our episode library wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, many thanks to TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics for helping to make this Strip-Till podcast series possible. From all of us here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Pogner. Thanks for listening.